Hey, thanks, Chris. And good morning from me, everybody. And this morning's little bit from me is called Jesus Meets Our Needs. Um, children, it's great that you're starting to come back now that restrictions are late. Uh, gone, sort of gone, and hopefully we'll be doing things for you uh, very soon. But in the meantime, if you're still into like listening and drawing, maybe draw chill, uh, people that are crying but holding on to Jesus. That's an interesting one. Or maybe draw lots of people sitting in a house and they're really happy because someone's talking about Jesus to them. All right, try that one. Jesus meets our need. Um, I don't know if you're a parent in the room. Um, A good parent, I think, which I'm not particularly, but I think a good parent knows the difference between what a child wants and what a child needs. Does that generally get a nod? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, So a child might want the latest gadget that comes out. I I need it. But the parent knows that you don't need it. You know, have some vegetables instead or something. Good for you. Um, You know how it goes. Uh, Some adults think I need more money or I want more money is what I need. And God often says, no, that's not what you need. You need something bigger and better than that. don't know if that's been your experience. Lots of people, particularly in the last two years, think I need health more than anything else. You know why? Because of the pandemic. God as he's proved in the last two years, often withholds health from people. Even though they're sure it's what they want and need, he has something bigger for them, often. Uh, Something better in store than even health. Uh, And in the last 200 years, churches, I've noticed, have become obsessed with like um, marriage and dating. And um, if a single person's in church, I don't know if this has been the history in Park End, but uh, they, there's like classes to quickly pair up with other people. And as if there's nothing higher than marriage. So people come in, it's like, you need marriage. Have you noticed that? It just came to me when I was pre- uh, preparing this. Um, but actually in the Bible, like single celibate people uh, are like the flourishing Christians and we're all trailing behind and they're like leaders of church. That's what Paul and Jesus basically says. And people who just can't handle life, the Bible's like, oh, go on then, get married. Yep. Um, we certainly don't need marriage to get through life. God often has something much better than that, being married to the church and flourishing in church. So, what we do when our what I want clashes what he thinks we need, and he meets our needs, the ones that he thinks we need, what we do in those moments is like the defining moments of whether we are Christians or not Christians. Um, It shows who we ultimately trust. That moment, I want this. God says, no, you need something else. What do we do? Because that's happening in this story in Exodus. There was a girl uh, in the 19th century who was born. When she was six weeks old, she caught a cold in her eyes. And her doctor was away. And another doctor was in town. And he was what we would call a cowboy doctor. Not qualified. Faking. 
And he went to, to get some money. And the girl was brought to him. And he saw the girl's cold in her eyes. And he prescribed for her boiling hot mustard poultices to be poured into her eyes. And he did that. And from six weeks old, that child never saw again. Because in both of her eyes, thick white scars were there forever. The doctor fled the city and was never heard from again. She was blinded for life. Her name was Fanny Crosby. Lots of her hymns are in your hymn book around this church somewhere. She would later write, All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his faithful mercies, who through life has been my guide? I guess the Lord thought, you don't need sight to be a treasured human being. I think you need something else. And she is one of the greatest humans in world history. In my experience, people who reject God, they often have clever reasons for it. Well, not that clever. Clever sounding. But the root of it is this. I wanted something. He didn't give it. I'm off. Or he sent something in my life that I didn't want. I'm off. Today, in this chapter, we're going to learn that he knows best. And a Christian is someone that trusts him. And if you're not a Christian... You cannot go wrong in trusting him this morning with him, his plan for us. Um, One of the children's verses we teach is, My God shall supply all your needs. It goes on though to say, According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Everything the Father sends in your life this week is so that Jesus can be glorified You can cling on, maybe in tears, but it's for your ultimate good because you're going to get more of him as he cuts away other stuff that you think you need. But he doesn't think you need because we hold on to a treasure that lasts forever. And sometimes that takes tears to get us there. Um, The Christian knows this, and I don't say this flippantly, and I know I'm young, and I know you've been through more things than I have. But a Christian does, underneath, deep down, even though it's uncomfortable, and we get there eventually, and it may may take time, and tears, and tantrums, and difficult nights, but there is something in us that all says this, He is more valuable than the thing that I've just lost. He is the treasure that we all need, and it's a tough path, but I'm on it, and I'm clinging on. He's giving me what I Need And if you're not a Christian, listening in this morning, maybe at home, pray now to come to that place, that Jesus is everything. He will not let you down. You see, the gospel isn't, Jesus died for my sins, I'm off, that was good, ticket to heaven. It's actually this, the Father sent his very best into planet earth, his very own son, to stand in my place and face hell and horror and death in my place. And if he's done that, I'm following him. He's given me his best. He's got a track record of wanting the very best for me. So I'm going to trust him whatever he gives me 
this week. There was a lawyer in Chicago in the 18th century. When his son was four years old, he died. The son died. Then he had a business and a fire ripped through Chicago and destroyed the building in which his business was renting. He lost all his financial security and everything that comes with it. He was a Christian and he wanted to travel to Europe with some revivalists who were coming over from America preaching the gospel. So he booked the boat with his family and in the last minute there was a business emergency that he had to sort out. And the family went on ahead. Then, in the middle of the Atlantic, the ship collided with another ship. And within 12 minutes, it sank. And out of the 300 people on board, 226 people died. A few days later, he received a telegram from his wife from Wales. And it said, saved but alone. All four of his daughters died. On his way to Wales to be reunited with his wife, he got to the very spot where the ship had sank, because the captain said, and he penned these words. His name was Horatio Spafford. His hymns are all over the hymn books that we have in Park End, somewhere around here. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my so, Now, to have a giant-sized view of Jesus like that, for him to handle our biggest difficulties, I'm not sure I would. I pray that he'd give me strength when we get to those massive ones, if we do. We have to realize in the little things he keeps us as well. And then when the big things come, we realize he's going to meet our needs there. And the days of inner turmoil, not necessarily of losing family, but those inner things that weigh us down, the anxieties, the worries, the sins, if we cling on there, we'll see how wonderful he is in that when the big difficulties come. That he's providing everything we need in, on Monday morning to get us through to the promised land. The little things which matter to us that maybe other people don't see. If we start realizing his closeness and his goodness in that, we'll be able to face the mountains that Fanny Crosby and Horatio Spafford have to climb. And what I love about this chapter is Moses had an internal anxiety attack and the Lord met his needs. His needs. He probably wanted to do something his own way. Um, I'll tell you what happened. Moses was shattered. Have you ever been shattered? You're shattered. Now you, life is shatter, shattering at the moment, isn't it? And here in Exodus 18, Moses is shattered. But you probably know this. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses talks about the behind the scenes of this event in Exodus 18. And he has a massive pastoral problem with his church. Three million church members are grumbling. And Moses is carrying it. A giant of a burden. And in Deuteronomy 1.12 he says this. How can I bear? He's looking back. And he remembers saying this. How can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? You ever had those moments? I can't do this anymore. No one else gets it. 
But, and I'm just thinking this quietly. I can't even speak it out loud. But I can't do this anymore. And what's the answer? His needs were matched. But it wasn't this. I'm going to take you out the situation. I'll give you more money and more health. Off to Barbados for four months. He doesn't do that. He does something else. And Chris read it from Exodus 18. Now I'll just read some key verses for you to get the story. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, the father-in-law of Moses, heard everything God had been doing and for the people of Israel and how the Lord had brought them out. Jethro, together with Moses' sons and wives, went to where Moses was. Verse 13, the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for all the people. Uh, they stood around him from morning till evening. Do you ever feel surrounded by problems and you need your needs met? When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for all the people? There's three million church members. Why do you alone sit as judge with all these people standing around you from morning till evening? Problem. Anxiety, depression, burdens. Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I have to inform the different parties and give them instructions and decrees. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. What's the needs being met? Instead, said Jethro in verse 21, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. In summary, Moses, I need help. The Lord says, right, Jethro, go and help him. Go and help him. I'm going to provide his needs through you. Off you go. And what was it? It's the invention of small groups. Or in this church, you'll call them house groups. Or if fancy churches call them cell groups. I just love that. This is the beginning of house groups, isn't it? If you ever wondered where it came from, it's Jethro. And we still do it today. Organize the church into smaller groups. It's not a modern invention. That's why we brought it here. That's why you've had it in the past. And then the Lord provides one little house group leader per every 10 people. Now, there's 3 million people, and there's one leader for every 10. You've got it. I don't need to tell you. Um, by my maths, there must have been about 300,000 fellowship groups in the ancient church altogether. Back to Deuteronomy 1. How can I bear your problems and your burdens? So I took leading men from your tribes, wise and respected men, appointed them to have authority over you as commanders over thousands of hundreds of fifties and of tens. The Lord found people one to every ten to get through that difficulty. I'll summarize it again. I cried out to the Lord. In comes Jethro. The giant is too big. Here comes church family. My friends, 
do we really understand how blessed we are to have church family at the end of the phone making meals? Do we count our blessings and realize how much He is giving us in the little things? And then we might even face the big things together. Do count your blessings. And then off they go to face the real giants of the promised land. Before Horatio Spafford had to face that one, he had already known in his life with the business and things like that going down, my Lord can be trusted. He's always got my back. Moses learns that. Thank you for sending Jethro in my life and inventing this. You always keep me. Is that your story? All the way my Savior leads me. And then, as we come to the last bits, as they cross the promised land, this church, to get to face real giants, like physical giants, like Goliath was a baby compared to some of the ones in the promised land, as they go, Moses preaches a sermon. And he says this in Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, the giants. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's got my back. On Monday, he had my back. And now as we're going to face massive things, he's got my back. The New Testament loves that one. The Moses quote, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Christians, count the needs that have been provided by the Lord in your life so far. Calvary being one of them. But all last week, there were loads more. And if you're not a Christian, the problem is, the attitude is, and I did this for years, we never count God's blessings and He's the first one to get blamed when things go wrong. You're not providing me anything. It's like God saying, I have been actually. And if we counted His faithfulness to us, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if we tell people how faithful God is, even with church family that are always there for us, we'll turn the world upside down as people start to realize how kind God is. He's got our back. My friend said last week, he was reading an article in a magazine. And in the article, there was a man in Italy, I think it was, and he had COVID, and his life was saved by a ventilator. And then a few weeks later, he was out of hospital, he got a bill for the ventilator that he had to pay the hospital. And he said this in the article, I hadn't realized up until that point that all the air I'd been using my whole life had been free. Given to me for free. I'm only realizing the kindness of God now that I have to pay once in my life for a ventilator. Oh, the kindness of God, I now see it. Not only did the Son of God stand in the place of sinners taking the judgment we deserve, He's got our backs every single day. Wherever He leads, He will carry us safe through. I sometimes make Christians petrified of dying. I get it. But we shouldn't be. Because even when he calls us to face that giant, the Lord Jesus Christ has taken the sting out of even that. And if Christians can face that with confidence, we'll turn the world upside down. 
And I close with this. Here are some giants that the New Testament talks about that we face every day. In Ephesians 6, marriages. Do we turn to Him in our marriages to get through that giant? That sometimes difficult giant, that sometimes glorious giant. Working hard and not cutting corners. What a giant. But the Lord can provide our needs. Raising children. But in Hebrews 13 is my favorite. Listen to the giants we face. Keep on loving one another. The Lord will provide your needs. Love one another as brothers or sisters. Hebrews 13 verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have been shown hospitality to angels without even realizing it. Is, are you hospitable if you can be? We can't all be, but we should be. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. Do you pray for other people? It's a giant to put a, our own agendas aside and pray for other people. The Lord will provide our needs to do it. And those who are mistreated, remember them as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all. The marriage bed should be kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Giant. And be content with what you have. Do not grumble. Because, and I close, and he takes us back to Moses, who the Lord had provided his needs in his Anxiety in Exodus 18 because the Word of God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do for me? This church is not brick and mortars. It's people who have always and always will hand their burdens over to Jesus and He carries us through and we tell our story about how wonderful He is. Will you be a Jethro to someone this week? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.